So we will just continue with where we left off in this conversation, but I definitely want to let anyone know who is not familiar with you who might be listening. So Hannah Bell, go ahead and first start off with some of your background, let people know who you are, where you're coming from, what you currently do. And then I can talk a little bit about my experience with you and like how we know each other. And then we'll kind of dip into the conversation that we had planned for this podcast. So yeah, get away. so yeah, so super broad, I guess. Um, I'm Hannah yeah. Bell, lifestyle transformation coach and CEO of HB Fitness. Um, I've been coaching for about five years now. I have a background slash degree in exercise science. So super prioritizing education as the pillar for my coaching um, and the way that I run my business, handle my clients, et cetera. Um, you can never learn too much. So I was a group fitness instructor, um, turned college strength intern, turned assistant coach, turned CEO, um, newly a CEO as of seven, six months ago, time frame. Um, but yeah, that that's like a brief about me. Uh, newly a cat mom. I love dinosaurs and I am a donut addict. <laughs> yeah, we could definitely get into like that, that full biography there. Um, but go ahead and give everyone a little bit of an idea of like how we know each other and how we started working together at the beginning as like coach client. And then how that kind of has transformed into, you know, you go into the internship, <clears throat> internship and then now kind of like where we are. Yeah. So when I was an assistant coach for Metanoia under Megan, um, just kind of like same community found Bryce on Instagram, um, through her and just loved what he posted, loved what his company posted. Um, and then I was working for Clemson university and one of the coaches there had recommended Bryce as a coach. I really just needed, somebody to do my training. Um, it was a chaotic time and I just did not have time to program for myself. I'm sure any other coaches listening to this can definitely relate to that. Like you are your last priority, which is not what we tell our clients. Um, so sometimes it's hard to follow that, that rule, um, follow advice that we give our clients. But anyways, um, I started working with him. He did my training. Um, he was super cool, I guess. So <laughs> Um, transitioned over to Kelly just for, um, like financial things. Um, and then just was involved in the team and he had a internship posting, um, that I was highly interested in. Like I said, education is my utmost priority. Um, so at the time I was an intern at Clemson university. Um, and after that, it's kind of like, a weird transition into the real world. So I thought that Bryce and progressive performance could be a good transition for me um, into starting my own business um, while also getting that support along the way. So joined his internship, which kicked my ass, but I'm very blessed for it. Um, and then after that, he had invited me to do the mentorship. So um, still, I guess, a part of the team in some way, um, just kind of guiding me through my business, um, my programming, my coaching, all of this fun stuff. Um, I think it's a super good nugget to have, um, a coach for yourself. Um, nobody wants a coach that is like standing alone on an Island. They have nobody to talk to, nobody collab ideas off of, um, their programming is probably monotonous, um, like zero creativity. So I think creativity comes with talking to other people, um, brainstorming off of them. And that's exactly what we do here at Progressive Performance. So I'm very thankful for that. Um, and I'll always have him in my back pocket for sure. Yeah. And and I think that's a really good segue into, I wanted to, to bring up your background of fitness, training, dieting, because whenever you hired me, if I'm not completely blanking on that, we had talked briefly about you competing. We had talked about the potentiality of you doing it at some point. And I know that you came to me, you had a low back injury. We worked around that a lot. That was our main focus. But we had had some brief conversations about, you know, maybe in the future, this might be something that, that you were thinking about. So what is your experience with extremes in training, dieting, goals related to fitness? Because I think that will actually transition into us talking about extremes in dieting and how to potentially go or go about alleviating some of the issues that a lot of people run into whenever they do start really pushing 
dieting towards fat loss. So yeah. talk about your experience there and some of like the cool nuggets of realization you had, both positive and potentially negative. Yeah. So um, I actually competed in 2020, um, November of 2020. So uh, my just previous before that, I guess let's go into the timeline here of extremes. Um, the first extreme that I can remember whenever I turned 18, you are like legally allowed to buy diet pills. Um, so as soon as I turned 18, I took my license, went to CVS, got some diet pills, um, experience with that. I saw absolutely no results. Um, and I didn't realize what I had zero education at that point. Of course I'm in high school. So I had zero knowledge of what diet pill does to you. Um, in the long run, short run, whatever. I didn't know why it was working. Um, at that time I was also an athlete as well. So, um, I rode horses in college. So that was like my whole high school life was leaving high school earlier, going to the barn, riding like six, seven horses a day, not getting home until like 11 PM. So I had no life. I was not a partier. Don't like, I'm not by the bonfire in high school, drinking beer. Um, I was dedicated into getting into college, getting that scholarship. Um, and I did, which is great, but, um, that just leads into another story of competing in college. There's a lot of pressure on you. Um, equestrians are, uh, you have to be lean. Um, you have to have a certain figure, um, you know, balance, coordination, strength, all of the above. Um, and I wasn't necessarily a overweight individual, um, but I definitely did not have experience in the gym. I was not training in high school whatsoever. Um, and there, there is some background with, um, family things. So there were some family background things of, you know, mom kind of hiding the sweets, not allowing to have soda. Um, so I guess I had that mental restrictiveness already growing up. Um, and that kind of led into my adult life and I didn't address it until <clears throat> very recently. Um, so first coach would, I did beach body. So I'm a beach body girl. Um, that was sold to me online on Instagram. Um, I was very much bought into it. And that was when Beachbody came out with their portion control containers, um, which is very restrictive, like love portion control, definitely can preach it in a healthy way. Um, but the way that they did it, it was like, you're only allowed one red container per meal, um, of protein. So that was just restrictive in itself, always doing HIIT workouts. Again, I didn't really know how to train. And this was probably freshman year of college. Um, so became a coach for Beachbody, started selling it. Um, and then I became in love with being in the gym, that feeling of dopamine when you're done with a workout, when you push yourself, et cetera. Um, so I wanted to challenge myself with weights. And that was when bodybuilding, at least on Instagram, was becoming really popular. Um, and as a college athlete, just transitioning out of that, um, I only competed my freshman year. So transitioning out of that for sophomore year was super difficult because they don't really set you up to be a non-athlete. <laughs> um, you know, you wake up at 4am, you do your workouts, you have your, your, your meals with your teams, your practices, et cetera. That's like what your life revolves around. Um, so getting out of that was really tough. So that was when bodybuilding culture was super popular on Instagram. Um, and I needed something, I needed something to, to challenge me that competition, um, not, it wasn't necessarily about weight loss for me. Um, I had already lost those 25 pounds that I needed to from beach body. Um, so this was just about that competitive mindset is what I really craved. Um, so hired my first coach, got a meal plan and right off the bat, got a meal plan. It was, I even have a screenshot of it somewhere. Um, it's rice, ground Turkey lean and broccoli. And that was basically it. Oatmeal for breakfast. Um, my supplements, he had me on L carnitine, creatine, like all the things. Um, I think I was on like 30 grams of fat at the time, which is like absurd for somebody who was like not even close to competing at all. <laughs> yeah. So, um, <clears throat> I think I had him for about six months. It, I was so fatigued on that diet, lost all strength. Um, <clears throat> just 
super dwindled into nothing. Um, not necessarily lost weight on it. It was just mainly energy levels were crashed. Um, so found another bodybuilding team, which you know of, um, joined them and their training methods are all about training till failure <laughs> all the time. Um, it was, you know, week one train till failure week two till failure week three, four, five, six. I don't think I had a deload ever. My program never got changed for like four months. It was balls to the wall all the time. Um, try sets, drop sets, all the things. And yeah, I think yeah, I didn't, mean, I don't mean to cut you off, but I think that's a, a, a interesting point on how sustainability is not only applicable to nutrition. It's also yeah. applicable to training as well. Oh, so totally. yeah, I'll, I'll let you keep going, but I think that's a, an interesting parallel. I, I don't think that a lot of people really think of those two in the same way, but clearly there's a lot that that goes into both of those that needs to be thought of and it needs to be done in, in a, a way that's easy to replicate over a long period of time, but continue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I saw a lot of results with it. I gained a lot of strength super quickly. Um, in the long run, I am definitely suffering from the repercussions of, you know, not knowing how to train. And then I was pushed to failure on every lift. Um, and I was not necessarily an advanced lifter. I didn't really know how to brace my core properly. I had lots of imbalances. Um, and it wasn't <clears throat> like an overall movement program. Um, so lots of muscles took over. Um, for example, my QL tends to take over instead of my psoas or my core. So I brace with my QL, which is not awesome. So this is my low back issues right here. Um, but yeah, training to failure with them. And, um, I then transitioned into being an assistant coach after being on their team. Um, at this point, like first time being an assistant coach, I thought I knew how to program, but to be honest, exercise science degree does not set you up for like real world lifestyle things like that. I think that comes from experience and learning from others like you, um, Exercise science is very much deemed around strength and conditioning, um, you know, whether you want to be a PT, OT, um, you know, a strength coach in college, whatever it is, um, which is completely different programming from lifestyle. And I know that you saw that from me, um, <clears throat> even my biggest struggles when going to that strength and conditioning internship, they were like too much volume. You program like a bodybuilder, you know, because that's all I knew. Um, so it was like that weird transition into like programming for athletes versus programming for bodybuilders. Um, but anyways, that's a, another conversation we can get into. Yeah, but I, I mean, that's definitely something that I can relate to very, very much so because I had to do the same thing. I came from a bodybuilding background. I worked in a strength and conditioning gym for a long time. Um, I've gone back and forth between coaching gen pop athletes strength athletes, physique athletes, professional yeah. athletes in different, it's like a different brain. Yeah, it is. It is. And, and every goal has very different foundational principles that have to be applied to it uh, whenever it comes to training, but also obviously nutrition and even like the, the psychological aspect where you can push certain people harder than, than others. And, you know, if a goal is very serious, then you should, uh, you should, you know, take that seriousness into account whenever you're coaching someone, yeah. but you can't, tell every gen pop client that just wants to feel better, look better, take every set to failure for infinity or, you know, eat 30 grams of fat for infinity, because that's not something that can be done safely in a healthy way, sustainably. And what ends up always happening is as soon as there is a little bit of like slack in that leash, they go off the deep end. They just completely lose it. They revert all the way back. And typically there's that, that negative rebound effect where they, not only revert all the way back to where they started, but they typically get worse because of whatever issues they developed from, from that training or that nutritional coaching style. So, yeah, I mean, with your, with your background, clearly like you have a lot of experience with your own ebbs and flows. Like you, you've yeah. seen it happen before you've experienced good coaching, you've experienced bad coaching. You've seen how difficult it can be to operate in the extremes and yeah. and part of that too is understanding that extremes are are time sensitive you shouldn't live there it should be something that you get in you get out yeah. only as needed and not everyone really needs to go there 
But for the vast majority of the population, they don't have extreme goals. They they have very moderate goals. Like most people just want to feel better, look better. They don't want to hurt whenever they're getting out of bed every morning. They want to be able to enjoy the gym. They want to sweat, train hard, get their heart rate up. They want their partner to look at them and and find them attractive. They, you know, all of those things, right? So <laughs> LGN is what we call it. Look good look naked. Good naked. Yeah. <laughs> look good naked. Yeah. So like that's that, that's what most people want. And because moderate goals tend to not come with moderate necessities from like a coaching standpoint, that ends up really throwing a lot of coaching styles for a loop. There, and it, it sounds weird, but a lot of a lot of coaches just don't know how to operate with moderate. They don't. Yeah. It's like, so that's where things like macro coaching and even like the style of coaching I do with training it's not applicable to most gen pop clients. They don't need that level of detail, right? Like for someone who just wants to lose 20 pounds getting ready for the summer, they probably don't need the level of, of programming that I deliver or like the level of, of nutrition coaching that uh, a contest prep dietitian might be putting out. They just don't really need that. And they might need more of like behavior habit coaching, you know? Yeah. So for you, I know that's a lot of what you're currently moving towards. You're moving towards like the behavior coaching. You're trying to work with your clients one-on-one -on -one to build those habits to really kind of like we rewire, reprogram how they think about food, how they think about diets. And that's hopefully leading to more sustainability long-term. It avoids those extremes, you know? So with that, it is difficult to operate in those zones of like subjectiveness because objectiveness would be like macros. You're, you're tracking, you know exactly to the, the gram how much protein, carbs, fat you're eating, you know, how much cardio you're doing, you know, your expenditure, you know, everything that's, that's objective. Those are like the quantitative values that you can measure every single day, every single week. But for you, a lot of that, and this is what I would agree with, a lot of that is, is more along the lines of unsustainable. That's not something that most people want to do forever. And I would agree yeah. with that. So with moving away from the quantitative more towards the qualitative more towards like the behavior change what issues have you found with actually losing weight with fat loss with gaining strength with coaching around like the the qualitative aspects of of transformational coaching and being able to do that and being able to really find good results within coaching like that versus the more specific quantitative way of coaching? Yeah. So biggest issue or just problem that arises with my clients um, and from what I see everywhere is all or nothing mentality. Um, people think that they either need to be hundred percent balls to the wall or, you know, they're not going to do it at all. So if they miss two days of tracking, they're like, fuck it for the rest of this month. Like, you know, whatever. Um, and I think people need to get a little bit more comfortable with the chaos. They need to be able to adapt to their environment, their social, you know, we're around the holiday time frame. It's you have to be adaptable. If somebody invites you to botanical garden lights this weekend, like you have to be able to be comfortable with that and, you know, prepare your mind, um, as well as your intake for that. Um, and just creating balance in your life. Um, but a lot of them as well think that nutrition and training need to be their first, very first priority. No, your very first priority is taking care of you and your mind and whatever it is you're going through. And that can change from week to week. So for example, I have a client that is currently studying for the series seven, which is an extremely difficult exam that could cost her her job, could get her promoted, et cetera. There's a lot at stake for her. She's also a single mom. So I understand that, you know, maybe getting to the gym and for an hour and a half on her training is not going to be a priority for that week. But if I give her a 90 minute program, she's going to feel like a failure if she does not achieve that. So I think the importance of also communicating with your clients, I need to know that I need to know what her priorities are. So I can go ahead and change her lift, accumulate her volume and maybe give her a 30 minute lift that she could do at home. Um, and it's still movement. It might not expend the same energy that I would have hoped or whatever, but that isn't our main priority. The main priority is getting her to pass that test. Um, so speaking of behavior changes for her, getting her to realize that 
that all or nothing mentality, it doesn't have to happen, getting her to realize her priorities on a week to week basis, um, as well as, um, gosh, it just totally slipped my tongue of, oh, goal setting. Um, goal setting with my clients is a huge, huge thing. As soon as they sign on with me, we hop on a video call just like this one. Um, and we go over, you know, what exactly your goals are, um, where your mindset is at. Like, I want to be that, that person that like really dives deep into your childhood trauma, not trauma is a terrible word, but like, what was your food behavior as a child, because that a hundred percent reflects where you are right now. Was your mom, the handful of almond kind of mom. Um, I actually had a conversation with a brand new client the other day and she exposed that information. And she was like, that's why I just tend to like restrict my portions. Cause that was my mom. And it's not that they're doing anything bad, like uh, raising a child's like a huge task. So like, way to go mom. But <laughs> I, I mean, I had, I had the, the mom that was like, you have to eat everything on your plate before you can leave the dinner table. So like, yeah. I 100% <clears throat> understand where you're coming from. And I, I think that that probably is an underserved and underrepresented aspect of nutrition coaching is figuring out like where behavior is coming from and like where the habits yeah. are coming from and what is leading to the eating behaviors that they have now or that you have now, whoever, whoever it might be that you're, that you're trying to kind of like dissect there, because now that I'm thinking about it, like my, my childhood coming up, I had extremely erratic eating behaviors. Like it was, it was all over the place, right? Like I didn't eat breakfast basically my entire childhood, but everything was based around like lunch and dinner, no real snacks, nothing like that. But it was like, you had to eat everything on your plate and you didn't really have a say in like what you're eating you had to have like a portion of everything that was for dinner right so if you had like mashed potatoes and corn and green beans and steak like you had to have some of each and you had to eat everything on your plate like there was no questions there's no choices so that's really interesting to me that probably explains a little bit why like for a long time I had an aversion to a lot of foods and I was really picky so I definitely breakfast but also like vegetables and shit like that just because like as a kid I, I was like forced to eat things I didn't really want to or or like desire to um but yeah I mean that's that's a really interesting thing and I never really thought too much into that side of it but I 100% see where you're coming from and that leads into an interesting conversation about like nature versus nurture where genetically we understand that someone might be resistant to fat loss or they might have uh <clears throat> more of a proclivity for weight gain we just know that like that is that is in genes whereas someone else might be genetically a little bit leaner they might be genetically a, a bit more prone to gain muscle to to build a frame that is what we would consider more like aesthetically pleasing more bodybuilding standards and then we also now that we were just talking about it we've introduced like the the nurture component of like, what was your environment? Like, what is your environment now? Like, how do those things play a factor into your ability to make behavior changes? So I think that's an interesting conversation that maybe we can dip into a little bit further because as a coach, first step, especially talking about like, su like subjective qualitative aspects of coaching, because we're not talking about like, hey, decrease your macros here to, to lose body fat. We're talking about what can you do in your environment, what can you do behavior changes, habit changes wise to get closer to your goal? For you, what is like the first thing that you'll tell your clients whenever they come to you and they're like, I want to lose 20 pounds, but I don't want to up in my entire life. Like what is the first step that you usually go towards? Yeah. So initially first step, um, I do ask them to, to track their food, whether it's counting calories, whatever they're comfortable with. Um, usually I do have some clients that are just not, uh, ready for that yet. So we do meal photos, but essentially I just want to see like what your habits are. Um, cause as a coach, I'm not going to tell you to correct something if I don't know exactly what it is. Right. Um, so for them, main thing is just incorporate more whole foods, like keeping it as simple as that. So, you know, if they are having pasta, like let's switch that out for some quinoa or some rice. Um, not necessarily pasta is bad. I have that all the fucking time, but if you have it every day, twice a meal, you know, like make some changes in that, um, fibers low, put in some quinoa instead of that pasta. Um, 
adding in some more greens. A lot of people neglect their leafy greens, which is an awesome source of vitamin K, um, anti-inflammation and all of the above. So, um, adding that in is, is crucial. Um, but sticking to your lean meats, you know, if somebody has chicken thighs, switching that out for chicken breasts, um, adding in a cup more of veggies, um, things like that, and just kind of looking at that portion control. Um, but I think for somebody that's just starting out in your fitness journey is if you just focus on whole foods, um, and something that I always say is always shop on the external aisles at your grocery store, because the internal aisles are going to be the soda, the chips, the, the cupcakes, all of that fun stuff, uh, fun stuff. <laughs> um, but shopping or on the external aisles would be the produce, the, the deli section, the lean meats, um, and things like that. So that is definitely number one to focus on. Um, curious as to if I were to reflect that same question, what would you say for, for your clients? What's something that you would work on for them first? Move more like I, this, this is, this is one thing that I tell pretty much everyone is just move more. And that sounds so simple, but I think whenever someone has a, it does, well, well yeah. And, but whenever yeah. someone has a conscious awareness of how little they're moving throughout the day, and someone tells them, hey, you need to move a little bit more, all of a sudden, someone who might be pretty much sedentary, like, you know, we're talking three to 4,000 steps a day, which you can get three to 4,000 steps a day, like walking to your mailbox and walking to your kitchen a few times. I mean, like, it's, yeah. you do it almost by accident. So someone who is almost purely sedentary, like for me, I work at home. So that is something I have to think about a lot. Them just going and walking around the block a couple of times per day, just, you know, 10 minute walk, just to take a break from work, just to get up and move that might add, I don't know, two, 3000 steps to their day, you know, maybe even more. Yeah. And something that simple summated over the course of a week or a month, it tends to add up really rapidly because the more that you start thinking about these things, the more that you're conscious of them and the more that you start mm -hmm. going out of your way to do more of it especially yeah. as mindless and easy as like just moving more and walking more. Right. And the results are, are also so quick from something like that, not only body fat wise, like you're going to, your body composition is going to improve, especially if you're someone who is like, has a lot to lose or is, is overweight, you're going to drop body fat rapidly. You're also going to feel better. Your joints are going to hurt less. You're going to have a higher work capacity. If you are someone who goes to the gym, like all of those things are, incredibly compounding and your yeah. blood work gets better. Like those things. It's a are, compound effect. Same with like nutrition. If you yeah. establish these habits, they will domino effect onto the rest of your life. You know, it takes yeah. 21, 30 days to create a habit or whatever they say. So like working on these things day by day, aiming to be 1% better will set you up for success in the future because now it's become so much of a habit that, okay, at two o'clock you go for a work because that's your after lunch work break. You know, um, this actually reminds me of that new documentary that's out with Jonah Hill Stutz, I think is how you pronounce it. Um, it's on Netflix. You should watch it. Um, it's about Jonah Hill and his, um, psychiatrist, I think, or therapist. Okay. Um, and they like go into strategies of like, I guess how to be a better human. And number one was just fucking move your body. Yeah. Like, that rolls over so much. <laughs> I just saw that in the background. Yeah. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> um, no, but that rolls over so much, so much dopamine, which again, makes you happy. It makes you more sociable. It makes you like be outside and like celebrate life. When you move your body, it makes you celebrate you. Um, and yeah, it's cool. You should watch it. <laughs> oh yeah. I, um, the, well, the reason that I, I always go to just like move more, just walk more is um, I had a I had a coach, a nutrition coach uh, years ago, but he was the first coach I ever had. He was awesome. Um, probably the, the smartest person I've ever met in my life. And I think I'm uniquely lucky in the fact that the first coach I had was actually a great coach. Most people's first yeah. coach is horrible. Um, so I had a great coach. And over the years, like the more that I talked to him, the more that he just kind of rounded out his, his cardio philosophy on just, just move more, just walk. Like yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't even structured or even measured. It was just, just walk more like, okay. So instead of this week going on, you know, one walk per day, this week go on two walks per day. 
It's yeah. like, it was something so simple, but it was not, it didn't even have to be measured because it was just inherent in the guidelines and recommendation that you're going to be burning more calories now. Yeah. And, and I started really molding a lot of my thoughts around that. I'm like, could this be that simple? Like, can these things be that easy? And if so, why are we so focused on like all of the minutia of everything with weight loss, with training, with, with transformations, with physique, all of these things, like, why are we so focused on all of like the 0.01% subtleties? And I think that's really led a lot of my, my thought patterns now to be, okay, let's just focus on like the big picture. Let's focus on like the macro goals that we can actually knock out things that are going to create the most change and get those in line, get them locked down before we ever think about like, okay, cool. Let's add these three supplements in three times a day. It's like, that doesn't matter if you can't move more throughout the day, if you can't yeah. make good decisions whenever you're eating, like you said. And I will actually want to go back to what you said about the shopping on the outsides of the, the store, because I'd never heard it said like that before, but I think that that's a really interesting recommendation because it is very true. And what would you say to someone who pushes back with eating healthy or eating in that way is more expensive and they can't afford it? Because I've heard this before. I've heard this before. Yeah. I mean, we're dealing with inflation right now and the economy is not awesome. So I am dealing with that. Um, a few of my clients are in Alaska and the oh, prices of groceries there are insane um, as well as everything else. Um, so I know we preach about like lean meats and stuff, but if chicken thighs are the cheapest option and that's all you got, pick that. Um Rice is fairly cheap as well. I like to stick to bowls. Um, I have like a five pound rice bag from Costco in here that I've had for like months and it's lasted me forever. Um, but that that's a really good question. Um, produce is going to be really expensive or fresh produce is going to be more expensive than frozen produce. Having frozen as an option, frozen broccoli, things like that. Um, non-perishables as in that regard. Um, but man, yeah. So, so like, I, I mean, that's, that's hard. Yeah. Well, you want me to give you my answer because yeah. I think, I think this one is something that I've dealt with a lot. I've dealt with a lot whenever it comes to nutrition, because I used to coach a lot of clients through nutrition, but also with training, whenever it comes to gym memberships, home equipment, which was a big one during COVID, or I was like, Hey guys, just buy a band pack. And it's like, I can't afford a band pack. I, yeah. uh, okay. All right. Let's, let's prioritize this a little bit, but with nutrition, I think it's interesting because if someone were to just add up how much money they spent per month on eating out, it would be really apparent how easy it is to eat healthy while doing so on a budget. Mm -hmm. And healthy, I guess, is like a quote unquote kind of term, but most people spend absurd amounts of money per month eating out or door dashing or coffee. Yeah. Just like, yeah. Like a dollar coffee trip. It's yeah. Coffee. It's, it's the mindless stuff that just adds up over time. Yeah. Where you, you don't think that like that coffee every morning on the way to work really impacts the bottom line of your budget, but you know, a $5 coffee every morning, that's what $150 every month, yeah. you know, that like, that's, that's a lot of lean chicken. So those are the things that I, I try to preach to the clients that have that have, mentioned that they have budget issues and concerns. And whenever you had that realization that it is actually much cheaper to eat whole foods, eat healthy, then it becomes much easier to convince your clients, okay, like this might be something that we can implement long-term. This is my, this might be like a strategy that will actually make a big difference because it's something that is again sustainable which is what we were talking about before you know we had kind of gone down that rabbit hole a little bit talking about just different sustainable options for losing weight for getting on track with any kind of transformation um with getting those goals in line all that stuff so now i i want to kind of pivot into talking about different reasons why one might be having issues with losing weight, losing body fat, losing body fat. Um, I know that from my own experience, personally and with my clients, I've seen a lot. 
I've seen clients come in that respond, like I said before, you know, you increase their their activity and they just drop weight almost overnight. It's crazy. I've also seen a lot of clients where it feels like everything that you do, there is there's nothing that actually results in a, a response that can show up on scale or in pictures. It's just, it feels like they're a non-responder to almost everything. So with your experience, what are some of like the the underlying causes for resistance to fat loss and weight loss? Yeah. So I'm going to talk from personal experience on this one. Um, high cortisol hormones in general can, can fuck you up. Um, you know, having a healthy optimizing hormones, things like that, um, matters truly. And I was going through a super, super stressful time. I was working 16 hours a day as a strength intern. Um, and, training was super low volume. It didn't matter what I did. My body was absolutely destroyed. Um, it didn't matter how healthy or how low cal I ate. I still was not losing weight. And I have again, gone through all the phases as a competitor. I know what works for me at that point. I've been that lean and to, to go through that phase a year later, post-show, um, being in such a high cortisol state, no matter how low I dropped my cows or how high I had my cardio, nothing would work because my body was prioritizing survival. Um, when you are stressed, it just in general, when you want to get lean, your body prioritizes survival over anything else. Um, so like dropping body fat is not supposed to be easy. Um, but when you're in a high stressed state, your body is prioritizing that over metabolizing your nutrition and giving out energy for your training. Um, so I use this phrase of high cortisol. Your body really doesn't know the difference physiologically between being chased by a cheetah and, just really stressed from like a breakup or something. Both have the same physiological response. You might feel really, really stressed being chased by a cheetah and not really, really stressed over here, um, but it, it has the same effect. So stress isn't an important one because that can definitely roll over onto anybody. I feel like we're about to get into the other hormones here, yeah. um, but stress can definitely roll over into male, female, obese, lean, whatever the population. Um, yeah. Yeah. So like hormonal dysregulation is a really big one. Um, and that's something that whether you're really, really far on like the gin pop side of like, I just want to lose 20 pounds and I want to feel healthier. Or if you're someone who is really deep in com competition or you're an athlete, you're a bodybuilder, you're a power, power or whatever it might be. Um, and maybe the extremes of your sport have actually caused the dysregulation, right? And we see this a lot with physique athletes where they run their calories so low for so long, or they're someone who is supplementing exogenously with, with hormones, um, and they actually have a suppression of something like testosterone, something like thyroid hormone. And, and because of that, they have a lot of trouble either putting muscle on, keeping muscle on, or getting fat off. So that's definitely another big one, including, you know, cortisol. And like I mentioned a second ago, thyroid, it's, it's big, really big. Being able to manage all of those things and, and keep them in healthy ranges is incredibly mm -hmm. important. And there are going to be some people just genetically, they are predisposed to having a bit more dysfunction and dysregulation there than other people. So understanding where you are on that spectrum is going to be super important because that is kind of like what we were talking about, talking about before, like that's the nature side of it, where some people just come in and the the cards are stacked against them you know like they just don't have the best foundation for losing body fat getting really lean and that's okay because that's where the environment comes in nurture comes in and you can actually do a lot of things in your environment to make it a lot easier for you to actually lose that weight so part of that is going to be making sure that you are locking in your behavior change locking in like your habits getting all that right uh, the whole food voiceover speaks descriptions of items Sorry. <laughs> Did Can't she press the button? <laughs> oh my god. Oh Dude, god. This is my cat out of my office. That's funny. <laughs> um but but yeah, I think that there are a lot of reasons why someone might be resistant to fat loss. Again, hormones being a really big one, the lack of of 
underlying physical activity, I think is another really big, important one where not a lot of people truly understand how little they're moving. Mm -hmm. And also just nutritionally, I don't think a lot of people understand where their true habits are and where their true intakes are. It's really easy to create this story in your head that you're doing everything that you can to adhere to a diet, to lose weight, you're eating really healthy, you're eating very low calorie, you're not eating any carbs, like you're always hydrated, all these things. And I've heard this a lot over the years where people tell me that they're doing everything right and they just can't lose body fat. But if you peek under the hood just a little bit, you start to see that story kind of crumble because they're not accounting for X, they're not paying attention to Y, They didn't even know that Z was a contributing factor. So like Mm -hmm. all of these things play a really big part in being able to lose body fat. So not everyone is going to be able to alter their hormones. Not everyone is morally going to want to alter their hormones, right? That's, that's a story for, or a conversation for a different day as well. Everyone can move a little bit more. Everyone can change their nutrition habits a little bit, but even then, There's only so much that you can do before you start running into plateaus and roadblocks again. So for you personally, also as a coach, what are like those next steps to continue moving and pushing fat loss in the direction that you want it? Once you start brushing your head up against those ceilings and up against those plateaus, because they always happen, you can't prevent it. So like, what do you do? You mean... Can you rephrase the question? Like if somebody were to do all of these habits, like what's next? Yeah. So, yeah. So if, if someone has started to get some of those, like those habits in place, they have at least like the foundation ready to go in place and and they are moving at least a sufficient amount. They are eating whole foods. They're at least tracking and understanding what they're eating. It's all fine and dandy there. They might've even been making some progress on the fat loss um, goals there. But what happens? What do you do whenever those those plateaus start to emerge? Because like what I was saying a second ago, they always do, you know? Yeah, this is probably super not a response that you're expecting. Um, But I want to bring this into like talking about the American diet a little bit, Um, not in terms of food choices, but in terms of how fast we eat and how that can affect Um, weight loss as well. If you're not present when you're eating, if you're scrolling on the phone, if you are, you know, stuffing your face and in a rush um, that affects digestion and that can affect um, disrupting the communication between the brain and the stomach when it's actually full. Um, So that is something else that you can focus on. You know, if you are doing all these things right and you are still, you know, not seeing something or you're just in a plateau and need to drop the last five pounds. Um, that would be something to, to focus on as well as resistance training, bringing that back into the topic, um, resistance training at least three times a week, um, doing something fun. Like when you're resistance training, I don't know, five to six times a week can become monotonous. So shorten that up to four times a week, go rock climbing, like do something else. That's fun. I know we've talked about movement in the term of, like neat and and cardio and things like that, but resistance training to challenge your muscles with resistance to optimize the hormones, the appetite, the metabolism, um, all of the above and challenging yourself in that regard. If you're somebody who I, I deal with a lot of clients like this, um, who is just really scared to go into the gym, it is intimidating, like all of these jacked bodybuilder peeps in there. Um, the gym I go to is actually insane and I'm intimidated, but we take it one step at a time. Um, but if you're somebody who trains with dumbbells in the corner of the gym, like I challenge you to pick up something a little bit heavier. I challenge you to go out into the actual gym for at least one exercise, challenge yourself that way. If you're somebody who is pretty advanced in the gym, challenging yourself with like different modalities of using bands or, or drop sets or, um, different intensities in that regard. So, um, yeah. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, putting on muscle is always going to be like the easiest way to just like continue body body compositional changes. Um, A lot of people, I don't, I don't think they understand that whenever we talk about body fat, it's typically under the, the, the connotation of body fat percentage. That's usually what we're talking about. And there are certain people that, that talk about total body fat in terms of weight or mass, 
but generally it's going to be as, as a function of body fat percentage. Well, body fat percentage is a function of total body weight, which is also a function of lean body mass, so muscle mass. So if you can change the proportion of lean body mass to fat mass, you're actually going to be decreasing your body fat percentage, even if you don't lose any body fat per se. So that is kind of a conundrum in, in your head. Whenever you think about it, you're like, wait, how can I decrease my body fat percentage without actually losing any body fat? That's actually what happens if you're gaining muscle. And not only that, but muscle is the source of fat oxidation. So if you are gaining more muscle, you're going to be burning more fat. You're going to be oxidizing more fat also because muscle has a much higher caloric maintenance. So that's the another- does not depict what is going on internally with that yeah. either. Exactly, exactly. So like, those are all really important factors. Um, you know, again, like what you said, just the, the base level of movement is going to be really important too. And making sure that it's fun, making sure that it's something that you enjoy doing. It's not, you know, if you hate running, but running is the cardio modality that you implement into your program, you're probably not going to be able to stick with that for a really yeah. long time. Like, like if it's pulling teeth to get yourself to go outside and run or, you know, as a, a I guess, addendum to that, if it's like it is in Ohio right now, cold and windy, and your cardio is running or walking outside, that might be a whole ass process just to go outside. You have to put on your snow boots. You have to put on like your big ass parka. You have to get ready to go. It's like, it's a, a whole, whole deal before you can actually go to your cardio. If there's any friction to being able to do that, it's going to be so much more difficult to actually get it done. So you want to make these things as frictionless as possible, especially something that's cardio. So if you can enjoy it, if you can do it that in a place that is close in a place that's comfortable, like those are all going to be really, really important things. And I guess as a side topic to that is like doing it with someone who you enjoy being with, right? If you can have a, partner, say, yeah. Yeah, a training partner who's going to be able to motivate you and keep you accountable to it, that's also going to be a huge thing that you can utilize and leverage in your own ability to get to the gym, get your cardio done, get your training done. Yeah, so I was going to say like, even around the holidays that strikes a time where I was challenging my clients to like, get their family out after Thanksgiving and just go for a walk around the neighborhood. Yeah. Um, like also a bonding experience to create conversation, but also gets you moving and that digestion going for after all that food, same thing with Christmas time, my family, like Christmas is like a two week adventure for us. We take like two weeks off and just kind of we're very much an experienced family over gifts and food. So we like to do like me and my mom will go to a spin class or we'll go skiing now that I live in Colorado, like different things like that, that get you outside, also get you to bond with your family and friends and, and get you to move. And it's not being stuck in the four walls of a gym, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but you know, it can become monotonous. Like Tracking macros, going to the gym, drinking your water, having your daily steps. None of that like is sexy. It's boring at times, especially if you're us and have been doing it for five to six years. Like, it's just like, oh my gosh, give me something new, like challenge my brain for once. So, um, living in Colorado, I've taken up bouldering, which is super yeah. fun, but man, my forearms are like wrecked. And I'm one that I use grips when I lift. So I have zero forearm strength at all. And I'm like, oh, like can't move my hands afterwards, but it's awesome. Like just yeah. the, the different challenge that it, an environment it brings you is so fun. So, yeah. And, and this is something that I've dealt with myself, especially more recently is whenever your priorities and your goals change, or if you're someone who you're getting towards the end of your, your goal, your transformation, whatever it might be, and you're starting to pivot over that point where you're like, okay, what do I focus on now? How do I keep myself motivated? Yeah. That's, a, that's a difficult thing for a lot of people. And just continuing to do the same thing over and over again, usually isn't the best route to maintain something to maintain fat loss, to maintain your new body composition or your new strength or whatever it might be. So usually you have to find something that is a little bit new, a little bit exciting, a little bit motivating, maybe even artificially, but having to do that is a really interesting way of keeping yourself motivated and making the whole process sustainable. And like what you mentioned, like something like bouldering, like rock climbing, like, is that the best modality for cardio, especially whenever it is in conjunction with lifting? Probably not. You know, like it's same thing with, I, I have a lot of clients that do jujitsu. Is jujitsu the best 
cardio or the best sport supplement for being able to lift with maximum intensity, maximum volume? Probably not, you know, like those aren't one-to-one, but at the same time, if that's something they're, they're going to enjoy and they're going to continue doing it. And that is going to just be a foundational aspect of what they're, they're doing with their fitness, then you have to plan around it. And like, that's, that's something that is part of that give and take, but, um, just wrapping all this up, I think that it is important for us to talk about just, just strategies that we use with our clients to really lock in that sustainability and potential strategies that people can use independently of working with coaches that they can make sure that the goals they're setting for themselves are something that are within reach and also something that they can keep up for the long term. And it's not going to put them at any kind of like health risk. Yeah. Um, I I was actually going to transition and say that I think it's uh, almost comical that the beginning of this podcast, we kind of talked about what are some things that we can take out to change lifestyle. And now at the end, we're talking about what are some positive things that we can add in. Right. Um, a lot of coaches focus on, okay, she's having a hostess cupcake. We need to take that out. Like restricting that, um, taking out that behavior. If somebody is, um, that's a bad example, but um, just using that nutrition as an example of taking that out. And now we're saying, okay, add a fun activity in or add whole foods in. If somebody, if I see somebody just having not so great nutritional habits, um, I'm not going to point that out, but I'm going to give other suggestions on what might be better. Um, because having that restriction and exclusion mindset will only build a negative relationship with food. And that's not what we want either. Um, I actually used to view an apple as bad because it was so high in carb. Apples are so high in carb. Um, and when I was in prep, I was like, fuck, right. Just give me an English muffin. Like that's so much better tasting and easier and less like, shit like that. I definitely didn't answer your question. I just wanted to touch on that. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay. I think that, I mean, I mean, that's a, that's a, a good tangent to go on uh, because you know, the, the restrictive side of, of fat loss is incredibly important to take into account because that's where a lot of people get so hung up and they also tend to fail because of the restrict, the restrictions. Yeah. When relating that to training, though, it's really interesting because most people with training, they fail because they try to add too much. So I think those are interesting parallels or maybe even like almost contradictions in a way. But going back to to like sustainable patterns, sustainable activities, things that we can really like focus on to make sure that our clients are able to to keep up this behavior change for a long period of time. Like I know that for myself the biggest thing is going to be education always, right? Understanding that a, a big hangup is just lack of knowledge. And if you can take the time to educate your clients, take the time to make sure they understand why they're doing things, then that will save you so much mental energy effort in the long run. And that will also make sure that like your clients are setting themselves up for long-term success rather than just like quick changes and something that might be a kind of a glass house. So yeah. like, like other than education, what would you say? Um, I guess communication comes along with that as well. You know, if, if you don't know why something is the way that it is, like a client needs to ask, for example, why do we need to get 8,500 to 10K steps a day? Like, why is that important? So education, <laughs> education, I guess is, is my answer as well. Um, but that's a, that's a tough one. I like completely lost train of thought on that one. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, well, sustainability is a difficult one. I think that that's, that's why so many people struggle with it is because it's not easy to have like a lifelong goal. You know, most people think of goals in, in short spurts. It's, it's yeah. very quick, like sprints, but to be able to do something for life, that's very daunting. Yeah. So whenever people make goals, they don't necessarily think of like the, 
the long-term implications of sustainability within that goal. It's, I want to lose 20 pounds, but well, what do you do after you lose 20 pounds? You yeah. know, are you going to regain the 20 pounds or are you going to make another goal? It's like, I want to lose 10 more pounds. And how do you achieve that goal? But a lot of, a lot of the time there are, there is more of a focus on short-term chunks of goals. And because of that, there just isn't enough of an emphasis on like, how do you achieve those goals? And like, what are the habits that you're building along the way that are improving your chance of success long-term? So I like to always think in terms of avoiding extremes. And I know that we mentioned this before. It's probably one of the first things that we talked about whenever we started recording, but extremes are inherently destructive. And that's part of the reason why so many people that are competing mm-hmm. tend to fall down those rabbit holes of hormone dysregulation, motivational slumps, really, really bad body dysmorphia, low self-esteem, all of that is because you can't be in extremes for a long period of time without suffering some really serious yeah. negative consequences. So most people do not need to operate or live in the extremes. And if something is promoting extreme behavior to achieve your goal, especially if it's something that is not an extreme goal, then you need to be very wary of it because there might be, and there probably is, a much easier, maybe less sexy, but much easier, less deleterious way of getting to that goal and sustaining it. Anything that is promising short periods of time or short bursts of energy or low effort or you know, quickness, easiness, et cetera, like that's all kind of going to eventually crumble back down and it's not being built up with a solid foundation. So that's always something that I tend to to focus on whenever I'm talking to any clients about like how to sustain progress over the long period of time. But no, I, I think that we, we pretty much like squash that one into the ground because that is a really important one, but I think it still bears repeating that, that we can probably do better there. So um, with all that being said, I know we could probably talk about this forever, but going to have to end it. So first things first, I do want to ask you a question because this is something that I, I, I like to ponder about it, but I also have asked a other a, a few other people um, before they have dropped off the podcast. But so if there was one thing that you could do for the rest of your life and you were guaranteed success in whatever it was, what would it be? And this doesn't have to be work. It can be anything. Like a skill or? It can be anything. Yep. Man. Um, wow, that's a really good question. Uh, first thing that comes to mind is being a per- professional equestrian. Um, it's like <laughs> super random. Um, horses make me happy. Riding makes me happy. So if I could do that forever, if it means I have to scoop shit on a daily basis, I would. Um, <laughs> it's just an expensive sport. So if money wasn't involved, that would definitely be where I am. But, um, I'm a coach at heart. So I, I would want to coach little kids for that. Um, and just like be really good at that skill of, of riding horses and jumping over fences that are taller than you, Bryce. <laughs> That's what like lights me on fire. <laughs> no, I think that that is a perfectly reasonable response. Um, I, where that question comes from is, I saw it not that long ago. Uh, it it might've been like a Twitter thread or something like that. But I, whenever I read it, it made me think about it so hard. And yeah. I kept changing my own internal answer to the question. So I was like, damn, like that is a very philosophically profound question. Doesn't really have a right or wrong answer, but it just made me think a bit more about how other people might think of something like that. So that's where I wanted to go with it. And that is an interesting answer though. Just always do what makes you happy. I mean, yeah, I might change it in like an hour. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, you probably will. Who fucking cares? Just make what what makes you happy. Uh, But no, so before we dip out, so go ahead and drop where people can find you and and where they can get a hold of you. Yeah. Um, So Instagram is hbfitness underscore seven. TikTok, I have no idea um, probably the same thing. And, um, YouTube, Hannah Bell, HB fit on YouTube. Um, that's about it. Beautiful. (laughs) Oh yeah. Beautiful. So first of all, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. Second, it's totally all right. 
if you felt a little bit nervous because this is your first podcast. So yeah. don't worry about that. I'm still trying to get the hang of doing this from this seat because I am not used to being the host of a podcast, but yeah. so have a great rest of your day. And yeah, thank you again.